If it was a movie, if it was a movie, I reckon it would uh, start like this. It would start with the, a shot of his feet uh, elevated from the ground, maybe a, a meter or, or something like that. And nice, nice feet, nice looking feet, nice calves, really nice thighs. In fact, he was a, uh, he was a beautiful man. He was a beautiful man and uh, lovely head, big bushy mane of hair and, um, and body, great body. And uh, in his torso, actually, were three spears because that's, uh, that's how it ended. It didn't end well, despite being a beautiful man. It didn't end well. Three spears right through his heart. When, when uh, Shara and I went to Africa, we had to go via France. Our country was uh, Francophone Africa, so we had to go via France, learn some French, and um, classroom driving me crazy. I ended up um, going down uh, once a week to a social rugby club, and uh, we... Went across to England one time, actually it was to Wales, and we, uh, we played a Welsh team there and lost, and in, in the, uh, the aftermatch function at the pub that night, I remember uh, sitting at the table and uh, one of my compatriots there in the French team, he looked around uh, the Welsh in the pub there, and he wasn't uh, excited by what he saw. No offence, those of Welsh descent, sorry. But uh, he wasn't. What he saw, and he, he said this, uh, roughly he said, uh, oh, c'est pas bon que tous les gens ici sur une île. It's no good that all these people, they, they live together on an island. Et ils se marient. They marry each other. Is <laughs> on rich, they're rich, mais pas beau, but not beautiful. <laughs> then then he, he grabbed our lock in our team by the jaw. You know how some French people, men, they seem to have a thick jaw. And he grabbed them by the jaw and he says, look at this man. He is a beautiful man. <laughs> uh, hanging in that tree was a, was a beautiful man. Beautiful man. But it didn't end well for him. And rebellion normally doesn't end well. Hebrews thirteen seventeen says this, Obey your leaders and submit to their authority. So that their work is a joy and not a burden, because that would be of no advantage to you. That would be of no advantage to you. In other words, that won't end for you well. If you don't obey your leaders, rebellion doesn't is not birthed out of health. It's birthed out of hurt. 
birthday out of hurt. In fact, in our story of our beautiful man on the, on the tree, you know, he'd started with a great life in the palace, running around, his brothers, half-brothers, cousins, uh, friends, and a uh, handsome young boy, had a beautiful sister that he loved, uh, half-brother, starting to take notice of the beautiful sister, kept taking notice of her, Tama was her name, and he liked her. More than liked, he lusted after her. And it says, Scripture says, one day, Amnon was his name. He went after that girl, the sister of Absalom, and he raped her. And he hated her after that. He hated her more than he had loved her previously. And you know what the father did, King David? Nothing. You know why? Two chapters before that. He'd been up to his own shenanigans with Bathsheba. He had no moral ground to stand on. And so David did nothing. Absalom was furious. His beautiful sister, Tama, put her in seclusion. That's all we hear about her. Life destroyed. And Amnon, he waited, and he waited, and he waited. And then there was a picnic, a royal picnic. And all the princes went, and Absalom saw his chance. And he arranged for Amnon to be killed, and he was killed. Absalom took off. Ran off into exile, stayed there three years, and then he was finally allowed back uh, into the presence of David. Uh, but from then on, David kept him to the side. See, because uh, normally rebellion doesn't start well, doesn't end well, normally rebellion. Normally doesn't start well, doesn't start out of health, starts out of out of hurt and bitterness and broken dreams. And so Absalom, off to the side, David wouldn't see him. But Absalom was not content with that. And as Scripture says what he did, and it's in 2 Samuel, 2 Samuel 13 to 18, story of Absalom. What he did was he gathered uh, charioteers and a chariot and made himself look good. And he was, he was looking good already. He was a beautiful man from head to foot. There was no one that was as good looking as him in the whole kingdom. And he, what he started to do was he would uh, stand just outside the city, and people would come past, and he'd inquire about them, and he would bro it up large with them. He wouldn't allow them to, um, to, uh, to bow to him. He'd kiss their hands, and he'd say, he'd say things like, you know what, uh, if there was a decent um, system in place in the kingdom, someone to hear your complaints, if we had better processes, procedure, you know, what you're saying is true. You know, uh, things could be better around here. That's what Absalom was doing. You know, it sounded like 
empathy, but actually it was rebellion. And he grew a team around him. And it grew and it grew. And then uh, he came charging into the city, the royal city. David knew uh, it was up. David took off. Absalom came into the city. And he went up into the palace roof. And he took up uh, the palace girls and he slept with them. And the scripture says, in front of all Israel, all Israel saw it. Lust is funny, isn't it? Lust will uh, attach itself to all sorts of things. You know, people or power or things. In fact, uh, in, in our tribal language in Africa, the same word, I think it's Ganude, for steal is the same word for rape. <laughs> but it is, it's the same. Scripture says this, it said about Absalom, he stole the hearts of the people. They weren't his hearts to steal, but he, was, he went for it. Stealing the hearts of the people. Rebellion. Underneath that show of empathy was something very dark, very dark, rebellion. And uh, it didn't end well. And it didn't start well. Rebellion normally doesn't end well. Rebellion normally doesn't begin well. He stole the hearts of the people. They were not his hearts to have, lusted after their hearts, their devotion, their influence, their power. Those hearts were his, were for actually for his father. God had given those hearts to his father, King David. They were not his hearts to have. But he lasted after that power, coveted the leadership, the influence, the prestige, the mana. 2 Samuel 16, rebellion comes into full maturity. Absalom stole the hearts of the men and the bodies of the women. Lust. I remember at a youth conference, we were youth workers, and one of the speakers I'll never forget and we were sitting there, we were, uh, you know, young, ambitious, gung-ho youth workers. And remember she said, stop lusting after ministry. <laughs> stop lusting after ministry. I think she was, I think it was right and true. There was something not quite right about us, about what we wanted and why we wanted it. Lust is a funny thing, attaches to all sorts of things. So it was a really, really dark place, Absalom. Rebellion began. Normally, rebellion does. Doesn't normally begin well. Rebellion normally doesn't end well. So let's read our scripture. That took a long time. Get to the scripture. Romans 13. If you haven't heard Romans 12, it's on the web. John's done a great job of Romans 12, three parts to that. 
Thank you, Malcolm and Ken, for organizing recording of that. Romans chapter 13, 1 verse 7. Let everyone be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except that which God has established. The authorities that exist have been established by God. Consequently, whoever rebels against the authority is rebelling against what God has instituted, and those who do so will bring judgment on themselves. For rulers hold no terror for those who do right, but for those who do, but for those who do wrong. Do you want to be free from fear of the one in authority? Then do what is right, and you will be commended. For the one in authority is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid, for rulers do not bear the sword for no reason. They are God's servants, angel, agents of wrath, to bring punishment on the wrongdoer. Therefore, it is necessary to submit to the authorities, not only because of possible punishment, but also as a matter of conscience. This is also why you pay taxes, for the authorities are God's servants who give their full time to governing. Give to everyone what you owe them. If you owe taxes, pay taxes. If revenue, then revenue. If respect, then respect. If honour, then honour. And we need to do. We need to address the big question that is in all our minds: What about Adolf Hitler? What about Adolf Hitler? We uh, verse. One says, we must submit to leadership because it's from God, established by God. Verse 6, authorities are God's servants. But what about Adolf Hitler? Was Adolf established by God? Was his authority from God? Uh, and what about Saddam Hussein? What about Stalin? What about Pol Pot? Name your favorite dictator right here. What about them? Is their authority from God? Well, yes, it is, uh, but it's not given, the authority is not given, it's lent. It's not th uh, freehold authority, it's leasehold authority. They, the person in authority, uh, they're not the CEO, uh, they're just looking after the place. The authority is from God. It's not a blank check. It's from God. Mandate of someone in authority is this, to restrain evil and promote good. Restrain evil and promote good. When someone in authority reverses that, they forfeit that God-given loan of authority. And that is why... That is why, for instance, the German pastor and theologian Dietrich Bonhoeffer in the 1940s, he could involve himself in the assassination attempt of Adolf Hitler. Hitler had forfeited his divine prerogative to lead. And that is why, Acts 5.29, that is why Peter replied to the captain of the guard at the temple uh, when the captain of the guard said, stop preaching, and that is why Peter says, we must obey God rather than man. And not, you know, most often, uh, there's, there's not a problem between those things, obeying God and ob or obeying man. But sometimes there is. 
And if it comes to the crunch, we must obey God rather than man. And that is why the Apostle Paul counsels the young overseer Timothy, probably something like a bishop in charge of the area of Ephesus, he says this, to get the people to honor and respect local Christian leaders on the one hand, but the leaders to be aware that it is a divinely appointed position on the other hand. 1 Timothy 5, 17 to 20. 1 Timothy 5, 17 to 20 says this, the elders, what we'd probably call more like pastors who direct the affairs of the church, will are worthy of double honor especially those who work as preaching and teaching. For Scripture says, do not muzzle an ox while it's treading out the grain. The worker deserves his wages. Do not entertain an accusation against an elder unless it is brought by two or three witnesses. But those elders who are sinning, you are to reprove before everyone so that the others may take warning. So that means just don't listen to any old isolated, grumpy, crazy maker in the church. You might have read about them in other churches. But but if there is evidence of repeated sin that the pastor or spiritual leader is doing, get on to it immediately. Don't turn a blind eye to it. Deal with it. Reveal it. Rebuke it. Don't listen to a crazy maker making trouble in the church, getting grumpy. But if it's about sin and it's evidence, get on to it. Don't turn a blind eye to it. And to be honest, to be honest, in terms of complaints in church, if it's about style, you know, if it's about style, how long it is, how loud it is, how this color or that color, or if it's about style, Complaints about style, I'm not very interested. <laughs> if, you know, if you want to put your shoulder to the wheel and maybe help improve our style, yeah, a little bit. But if it's about sin, I am interested. All good? Uh, back to the rebellion. Rebellion normally does not end well, normally doesn't begin well. Normally not, not born out of health, but of hurt. And thirdly, rebellion is normal. Rebellion is normal. Most people in the world are rebels. Most people in the world, they do not want to put themselves under the authority of God, under the authority of Scripture, under the authority of godly ordained leadership. Rebellion is normal. And so when people say, um, well, I'm just, I'm just a bit of a creative, bit of a maverick, you know, tend to, tend to be one out of the box, just, um, just a bit of a rebel, I guess. Uh, nah, rebel's not different. A rebel is normal. Most people are rebels. It is the called out children of God who will submit themselves to the word of God who will submit themselves to the purpose and spirit of God, who will submit themselves to the godly ordained leadership, they are the unusual ones. They are the ones swimming against the flow. Te iwi tapu, te hunga tapu, they are the special ones. 
Don't flatter, if you think you're different because you're a rebel, don't flatter yourself. <laughs> you're normal. Our passage today here, the main concentration was on a particular power difference between uh, civic authorities and, and the people. There are other relationships in the New Testament where there's differences of power. Most common ones in the first century were husbands and wives, children and parents, slaves and masters, spiritual leaders, and members of the congregation. And so uh, if you want to have a look at these, there's some here, say, for instance, Ephesians 6. Uh, we've got a slide of these. Colossians 3, Hebrews 13, 17, 1 Corinthians 16, 16, 1 Thessalonians 5, 12, and 13. And as I looked at these, and you can look at them at home, one thing I noticed, um, that as people submit to those authorities over us, things go better. They end better, and they go well. That's what the Scripture says. Now, obey your parents so that it will go well with you, for instance. There's, why is that? Because God's anointing comes on those in God's godly submission. You know, God blesses those that are under submission. I want it to go well for you. I do. I want it to go well for you. I want it to go well for you and your families, and your possessions, and your finances. I, I want that. I want it to end well for you. I do. And so one of the keys is to continue to place ourselves under submission of godly leadership, in the word of God, and the spirit of God, not to be rebels. That normally doesn't end well, normally doesn't start well. It is normal. Most people are rebels, but you know, God's blessing comes on submission. Those that will submit to him in his word and his spirit. Started this morning, this picture of this beautiful man hanging in a tree, dripping blood. Uh, and we're going to finish today with another beautiful man, dripping blood, hanging from a tree. Not spears through his chest, but uh, spears for his hands and his feet, nails for his hands and his feet. Beautiful man. Uh, physically, we don't know. Uh, nothing in Scripture describes physically the appearance of Jesus. We don't know what he looked like. Isaiah 53 tells us there was nothing of beauty about him, nothing in his appearance to attract us to him. Uh, so we don't know physically what he looked like. Uh, luckily, those who make the movies of Jesus do. And they tend, um, when they cast Jesus, um, they tend to cast, for some reason, Swedish tourists. In the, you know what I mean? For Jesus. Um, but Jesus was beautiful. Was beautiful. The way he treated people. The way he forgave people. The way he forgave their sins, the way he forgives their sins, the way he heals us, the way he speaks to us, the way he blesses us. He is beautiful. And that the rebel man died for his sins. Jesus didn't die for his sins, he died for our sins. 
dripping blood, dripping blood. We're going to have a time of confession uh, in your seats if you want, or if you'd like to be prayed for, come up the front and people will pray for you. Liz, you okay with that? And John? Yeah, cool. And any others might call on you. Um, come up, people love to pray. If you have not said yes to Jesus, if you feel like you have not said yes to Jesus or you've been in rebellion and you want to say yes to Jesus, come up and say that to someone. I'll let them lead you into confession. If you um, just want to um, confess your own sins in your seats, most of us will do that. And can we have our last four people here, Lydia as well, can you help um, hand out those, please? Uh, we had, when Sharon and I were down south, we went to our Anglican church. It was wonderful, fantastic. We had a time of private confession. And uh, so he said that. We're going to preach said that. We're going to have a time of confession. And then I was just getting started confessing my sins, and it was over. So uh, I want to give you enough time. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I want to give you enough time because um, if you love the Lord Jesus, this is what we're celebrating today, that he has died for our rebellion. His blood dripped on that ground for our rebellion so that our sins can be forgiven. Take your time. Confess your sins. I'd like people to pray for you. Come up, sit up here. We'll pray for you as well.